With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, everyone, welcome back. Today on the show, we have Alex Dubes. Uh, this was a super interesting episode, and we talked about a whole bunch of different topics, so I'll just keep this intro short because there's really no easy way to sum it all up. Um, if you're interested in growing your Instagram page, I definitely recommend sticking around until the end because Dubes gives us some tips. Um, he learned while working at Facebook. Um, as always, we finished up with viewer questions, which you can submit on our Instagram page at 2 Pod. Um, yeah, and if you like the show, make sure to rate and subscribe. Other than that, let's just get straight into it. All right, so let's, uh, we'll start out with what we start out with everybody. Who are you and what do you do? Oh, sure. So, uh, my name's Alex, Alex Dubes. Uh, I, I ski, skier by trade and I'm a corporate jock, I guess, by day, uh, kind of, now I work in New York city. That's, uh, kind of like my main go-to, but we've been remote for a year now. So, uh, uh, I was in New York for the first part of it and just had a great time, uh, kind of moving around, living in different places, uh, when the fall came around, got the opportunity to, uh, to spend this winter in Utah, which has been great. Um, I have a lot more of a background I could give you if you want yeah. like the full scope of, you know, yeah, so where that, I'm from. That's basically what I'm thinking. Like, uh, we'll just keep it chill. Like, I don't really have any questions prepared. So like, where do you, wherever you want to start, let's start there. Like, what's your journey? Dude, sure. Um, so I have like a kind of a weird background, I guess I was, um, I was born in the U S but I grew up in Switzerland, Geneva. So my first language is actually French. Uh, but I do have a U.S. passport. So it's like really easy for me to move here. Um, so I was in Florida, like zero to five, um, like in Miami, no memory of it. And then just moved over to Geneva, Switzerland and grew up there. And Geneva is a very, very, very ski oriented place, right? Like it's a super cozy city. It's not too big. There's like 500,000 people at best. And every weekend during the winter, like people are gone, they're on the slopes. Um, and that can be in France or Switzerland, like you're right on the border. So it's super close. Um, so yeah, I just grew up kind of, well, snowboarding originally, I was a snowboarder until I was 15, um, then switched over to skiing because I like wrecked my wrists and shoulders like one too many times. Uh, but I was uh, pretty much like on the hill as often as possible, like over the weekend, whenever my parents would drive me up and, uh, yeah, from there, when I was 17, I uh, actually dropped out of high school and went to a ski oriented school to try to kind of like do the whole pro skier thing. I can get into one of the good ski schools because you know, I just started like when I was 15, but I felt I was like progressing super well and I was just really into it. Um, so kind of just left Switzerland, moved to a, like really small town in France called Abondance, which is um, in the Port du Soleil region. So resorts are like Avoria, Châtel, um, Les Crozets. So some of them have like pretty nice parks. And so Home Mountain was Avoria like from there on. And um, yeah, it's, it was cool. Um, I like 
skied a ton, but I almost died like before I even started uh, school there. I like need myself in the face so hard that I fractured uh, my skull, like right. I mean, I, I say right here, I guess we're on the podcast, but um, right over the right, <laughs> yeah, right over my right eye, eyebrow. And um, yeah, it, it was kind of freaked me out. And, you know, you, I went to the to ski school and kind of did that whole thing for a year. And it came time to choose like, oh, do I go to college or, you know, do I just kind of like commit to this full time? And um, just given like that injury that I'd gone through and just kind of what I went through after that, and I can get into that too. But um, I just kind of decided to go to college and take that route. So I went to college in France for two years in a city called Lyon, uh, which was awesome. I had a great time. Uh, it was like two hours to the mountain there. So I still got to ski every now and again, was, you know, a little tougher because it's like city life. Um, and yeah, after two years, I mean, to be honest, I was just like in a really shitty school. It was like one of those default schools that you just kind of like sign up to, like in France, there's this like add to cart kind of option for applying to colleges. So you don't actually write applications and it's free. So like anyone can go, um, but it was bad, man. I mean, I remember like my first class, I'll always be like shocked by this. It was a management class. I was an econ major. And I'm in this huge auditorium with like 400 kids. And in France, you get a lot of people who will just like sign up to school to just go like get benefits pretty much. And this one kid literally just like lit a joint at the back of the classroom. And it was like weird because like the professor can do anything about it but it was just I was just like ah this is not the academic environment I think I'm gonna be doing well and um so kind of like from day one tried to find an out and then eventually ended up like transferring to the University of Pennsylvania in Philly which was like crazy a switch of speeds you know like now I'm in this like super like pushed academic environment living in Philly I joined the ski team there and that's when I started seeing the east coast for the first time seeing the difference between like skiing in Europe and skiing on the East Coast. Um, super different, like yeah, happy different. to get into that. Um, but yeah, so like essentially did my senior, like this three-year thing. So I did my senior year uh, there in Philly, then moved back to France for a year. I, I love the city. Moved to Portugal for a little, surfed a ton. Uh, then I moved to London. I was there for two years. I went to grad school, worked for PayPal for a bit. Then finally got a job at Facebook in New York in 2019. I uh, did that for like a year. And I got a second job in New York uh, that I work at now. It's like a healthcare company. And uh, yeah, that, working remote. So I'm just, again, like kind of like getting all over the place. And I've been in Utah for like the last three months, I guess, just skiing Park City, making the most of the park, some pow days. And yeah, here we are. Yeah, you're a busy guy. So um let's uh let's look closer at like uh when you were growing up in switzerland so what brought your family out there like from florida um so my mom's portuguese my dad's american and they they met in grad school in arizona so my dad was working for kodak at the time and uh that's kind of how he landed in miami he's like from minnesota so kind of like you know not a typical place for minnesotans to go to maybe it is i don't know um but he got an opportunity to be an expat in Geneva, Switzerland. And when expat is, it's like your company will send you abroad to work for two or three years and just like pay for everything. Um, then you got to go back. So goes to Switzerland and this is 2001. Um, so, oh, for context, I'm, I'm 26 and born in 1995. Um, so 2001 moved to Switzerland and this is back in the day when Kodak was like 
oh, like, you know, digital film, that's never going to take off. Like, people taking pictures with their phones is a terrible idea. Like, that's never going to pick up at all. You know, three years later, they're like on the brink of bankruptcy and, you know, they're calling everyone, they're shutting all their European offices and like, everyone, you got to move to Rochester, New York now. And uh, at that point, my dad was like, no, but I'm staying here. Like Switzerland's too nice. Um, I think it's good for my mom too, because she's close to a family in Portugal. So yeah, that's how I ended up there. And, uh, yeah. Kind of an expat ever since. Yeah. So, the, well, so what was your school set up? Because, so were you at public school when you decided to transfer to one of those ski schools? Um, yeah, I was in public school at the time. Uh, I went to public school in Switzerland. Like Switzerland has the best public school system in the world, I think. Definitely the best in Europe. Um, what's really great about it is that you get every opportunity you would want from that school. So if anyone's in a private school in Switzerland, it's generally because they needed schooling in English. Uh, so that schooling's completely in French. Um, so I was there for a while and then the move to that ski school, that was like a boarding school in like a remote village in the Alps, pretty much. Um, so yeah, I made that jump kind of senior year, which was like cool, but not cool at the same time. Cause I missed senior year in high school and you know, all your friends are like running the school now drinking's legal at 16 in Switzerland. So like we were, you know, organizing parties and like, there was like, um, so many fun events happening on campus like in the high school that was in the middle of the city like free expression day like people were shaving you know swiss flags into their head just because they could or like lots of kind of like different like drinking events and parks and just like getting to know people it's, it's honestly like college in a lot of places but just in high school yeah wow that's amazing yeah. so did you have like a crew of uh guys that you would ski with out there um that's the thing like not really it was so Geneva was like, you know, you were one to two hour drive to pretty much every resort in Western Switzerland and France. So there was a crew in Geneva. I was late to the game. Again, like I started when I was 15. Uh, kids who were my age that I kind of skied with like early on were, and that are still seeing now. Uh, Sampo, uh, he's he's doing the bulldoze crew. Those guys are filling it. They're all from like the same place I'm from. Uh, Remco is from Geneva. Remco Kaiser, he like won Super Unknown not that long ago, which was crazy. Uh, big ups to him. Um, they, everyone's from that same area, and you essentially what will happen is like people will go to different resorts based on you know wherever their parents wanted to go. Basically, if you're like in high school or middle school, um, that's how it was at least when I was growing up skiing. Now it's changed a little, where you can get into these like ski school or programs that um, kind of like it's like the ski school system, I assume here in the U S where, you know, you start at a certain level doing freestyle competitions and you work your way up the ladder to Swiss free ski pretty much. Um, that's a little more developed now. Like I was coaching, uh, for one of them in Switzerland, uh, in Geneva. So it's like, there's like the, the local, um, kind of level first. And then if you do well in the local level, which was, uh, mine was ALSF is what it was called you would get kind of recruited into Ski Romand, which is um, the kind of French-speaking region of Switzerland, because there are four languages, like French, German, Italian, Romance. Regions are kind of split uh, by language. So that was like the next step up. And if you did well there, you'd get recruited into Swiss Free Ski, which, you know, that's like all the like big names pretty much are, are kind of riding there. Yeah, and this is all freestyle skiing? All freestyle skiing, yeah. Nice. 
And uh, so what, like, what were you guys watching growing up? Are you watching like all the, all the American content or do you have a whole different scene out there in Switzerland of like different uh, crews that like, I probably haven't even heard of. No, I mean, it was definitely all on new schoolers, right? At least this, what, 10 years ago. Um, I was just on new schoolers earlier. I saw I made my account in 2010. I remember kind of being late to that game too. So we had IF3 Festival in NC, which is a small town. It's like 30 minutes um, south of Geneva in France. And, you know, there you do the movie screenings for like all the U.S. flicks. There were definitely some European film crews. But from what I remember, at least jumping in, like the big ones were like, you know, Poor Boys, Level One, Stepped was like starting to get big at that point. Um, Matchstick. Then like you had some European crews and you had some people like doing their own projects locally. Um, I, I could name a few, but it was nothing like huge. I think like Legs of Steel was like one that comes to mind or like more of the like powder oriented um, kind of ski flakes. But in terms of, like freestyle skiing, there wasn't much. And this is completely like in theory, but I think it's because there are no handrails in Europe and people might call me out on this, but like when I moved to the US, one of the biggest culture shocks I remember seeing was like, there were handrails everywhere in Philadelphia. You know, in Geneva, it's like it's old town. Everything's in like, uh, you know, old stone, right? Like you can really slide anything. Like you won't see many street clips out of Geneva, Switzerland. And a lot of that area in Switzerland year round is like just pretty old, right? So handrails weren't a thing. Um, and I go to the US and Philly and it's, I was just like in Disneyland, you know, everywhere I turn and be like, oh, like, it's not a staircase, it's a DFD. Like, when does it snow here? Let's go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's why I think maybe there's more powder movies coming out of uh, kind of our neck of woods back in the day. But level one's always doing those trips in like Finland or like wherever to like chase after snow and get spots. So yeah, it's just like not as ingrained in the culture. I mean, so speaking of culture shock, so when you went from your school in France to the U.S., like, so you got you got double culture shocks because you have like the, kind of this dumpy school in France and then you get upgraded to one of the best schools in America. But then you go from some of the best mountains in the world to just riding like some of the worst in the world on the East Coast. No disrespect to the East Coast, but like they're nothing compared to the Alps, you know? Yeah, no, it was really bittersweet. It's actually funny when I was like going to the US, I had the option to go to one of two schools, uh, University of Pennsylvania and a school called uh, Western Washington University. I knew nothing about that school, but I knew it was in Bellingham, uh, which is in Washington. Um, you know, I heard weed was legal, which was like a far cry in Europe and sounded pretty cool. And um, I was just reading up on all these resorts, like, was it like Mount Bachelor, Jackson Hole, like all, where was the closer ones? Like, I don't even remember. I'm like not well-versed in U.S. ski resorts, but the snowfall there seemed crazy. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll just go do that and ski for a whole year. Um, and then I was like, oh, I'll, never mind. I'll just, I'll go to, like, they're skiing on the East Coast, right? Like, I'll find it. Um, so I went there and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a huge cold shock. Luckily, Penn had a ski team that just paid for everything. And, I mean, we had a blast. I think UConn was actually in our, our conference. Um but the way it worked was, you know, you'd be have it pretty much like a 10K diamond for the team or something like that. Like the presidents handled that. And uh, you could kind of go and like do all these different uh, tours. It was the USCSA, which is like US collegiate ski, whatever. And um, you'd essentially go to all these like pretty shoddy hills, right? On the East Coast. And the culture there went from like, 
my ski school where I was like, you know, focused on skiing, like how to coach and everything to, you know, drinking profusely pretty much like throughout the night, you know, racers had to be on the hill at seven, but you were still partying three. And uh, it was really funny, like all the presidents uh, in that um, like ski kind of conference that we were in, I guess knew each other or something and like we're in cahoots, but we'd always rent motels like around them for whatever weekend. And um, it's where you'd expect to have like two kids in a room and then everyone kind of sleep comfortably. There's like four kids per room and there was always a dedicated party room. And each school also had a dedicated party room too. Then the rest of the budget, we just spent on like getting a ton of booze and renting like Escalades because why not, right? Um, and we just have these like outrageous nights where it's just like degenerate, like ski uh, kind of let go. It was funny because it was like the the ski team was mostly engineers when I was a pen. I was like a business major. So there's kind of like, there's definitely a disconnect there. Anyone who's oh, in yeah. college will see that. Um, and you know, everything is just like on the table pretty much when like ski weekend came around, just people were getting rowdy as all hell. And, uh, you know, you pretty much like bounce from like club to club, which was essentially motel party room to motel party room. And schools would get evicted pretty quick. Um, and, you know, you had to party to like 4 a.m. and 7 a.m. Like you, you just 30 minute drive to the hill because we were in a really like cheap motel somewhere. Um, so if you missed your ride, like you weren't skiing that day. So you just had to like rally, like, you know, sleep three hours, like crack a brewski in the morning, hope for the best once you were like in the park trying to like get a comp in. Um, crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, so what mountains were you guys going to? Um, so we kind of all like around Philly. So it was a while ago, but I think kind of a weird area. Yeah. Yeah. It's like 2015, 2016. So at the time it was like big boulder, uh, Bel Air, Camelback, Blue Mountain, Bear Creek, I think. Um, so you guys are never going up to like Vermont? No, that's too far. Like the furthest up north we went was like Hunter, I think. Um, York, yeah. 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 We wouldn't go too far. And then our, our regionals, that's where you kind of like went a little further. Uh, we're in uh, Seven Springs. Mm -hmm. And the nationals uh, was every year was split. Like one year at Mount Bachelor, one year at uh, Lake Placid, which is like Whiteface. So it was a Whiteface um, that year that I went. So that was like one time went up north and it's just like a week of skiing during spring break, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And so yeah, actually, uh, go ahead. I was going to say just uh, I, I was listening to one of the other podcasts you did uh, with Connor Clayton. And I know he mentioned nationals um, like a sophomore year and like skiing without an ACL. I was there like. I remember seeing him skiing me like, wow, this kid is so good. And just like when I heard that he like didn't have an ACL doing that, I was like, wow. He's, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to pass that on to him. I hope he hears that. Um, so like going from the, like the really rigid culture of, okay, like we're, I'm trying to get as good at skiing as possible to, all right, I'm going to like try to party and ski as much as possible. Do you feel like your skiing stopped progressing once you got to like stateside for college and you're just like, mostly drinking and not really training that much uh you know not that much I mean I feel there's a clarification I should make there mm -hmm. um yes like we were drinking skiing a lot in college uh but that was like a college thing and like oh, yeah. you would it, it was not necessarily like the hills thing like you'd have people there getting rowdy it's still an east coast mountain but it was, it's not like a thing most resorts in France or Switzerland or Austria for that matter have an insane opera seat culture you know you have a lot of brits and like dutch guys just go out there and are, are just on a mission to like go get obliterated in some ski hot not ski boots you know and 
like the biggest culture shock for me uh, with these, you know, two different cultures specifically uh, was just like East Coast, you know, it's this hill in a random suburb, you know, someone built a lodge and a few lifts and boom, you know, you, you have a ski resort. Whereas in uh, Europe, it was a lot like you were in a town where like people lived. And so, you know, you'd have seasoned people f- move in from like all over the place, right? All over Europe, because you could just like travel country to country. Lots of Brits, like lots of other folks. And there's a much stronger uh, stronger culture there, especially around opera ski. Um, like it was weird to finish a ski day and not go for a beer, right? Or like if you were at the park, more importantly, like most parks in Europe will have like the park cabin where there's like picnic benches and people are grilling. You can like have a beer, relax, watch people at the jump. Now I've been skiing Park City. Like I think I'm getting really good here because you can't stop. Like at no yeah. point do you just like stop and like chill. Like you can go post up in the woods, I guess, but there's no like, chill area where you can just hang out with people and just like listen to music grill you know have a drink do whatever yeah um yeah so that's really interesting to me i totally forgot what your initial question was i kind of forget too but we can can (laughs) keep chugging um so like just i'm so i've never been out to the alps before for context so the parks out there how would you compare them to u.s parks because on the East Coast, obviously very rail heavy because you're not getting, you know, huge jumps yeah. on the East Coast. But on the West Coast, you know, you could have a nice mix of both. So what's it looking like up in the Alps? Um, you know, it was hit or miss. Like when, when I was growing up, we were all looking at Breck, right? Or Mammoth. Like they had the jump. You know, we'd make jokes like, wow, like their lips are as wide as our slopes here. Like it, it was crazy. Um, and, you know, I, I think 2010, like, the biggest park I remember seeing clips from was the Breck Park, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, that's changed kind of over time and like other parks have like really just gotten their shit together. Um, so we always had FOMO from, you know, not being able to see in the US and we're like, all oh, the pros are in the US. Like we had our parks where people were shaping like whatever they could. And, you know, some parks had really good builds like early on, like Locks is a great example, right? Like They've kind of always had a stellar park, but that was like so far for us to get to. It was like four hour drive. It wasn't like a standard that you would have kind of around for all resorts. And then like, I frankly don't know what happened, but it's right around the time I moved to, to the US. Um, Parkers just got their shit together in Europe. You know, next thing you knew, it was like Motolinos throwing up these mass parks, you know, like Audi Nine Nights had started around that time too. There's just like a culture of just having insanely well-shaped parks. like. Mary Bell had sick parks. Uh, Voria, my hometown, has pipe grounds. And you'll never see footage from a lot of these parks unless, like, someone from there, like, proactively went out of their way to, like, get big and get footage out. They're just, like, low-key, like, insane parks that, are, that were hidden away. I think now, like, people are a little more aware of it because, like, the, the circuit for competition, at least from my perspective, has gotten a lot more international. Now, friends, like, flying to China to do big airs now. Like, <laughs> I was like, all right. Um, so, you know, you have a lot of these competitions happening, like not this year, obviously, but like in previous years, like Corvatch or like all these places that just decided to blow up their parks. Um, so there's, or like Dubai, like got really big, right? Like all these places that I don't think were like always huge or on anyone's radar, just like popped up when the scene became more international, maybe around yeah. the Olympics, I guess. But yeah, so that's been my experience. Um, now being, you know, out West, like I love Park City. Like the park is sick. I feel spoiled, honestly, just like skiing there. I'm gonna see today, Big Boulder. Um, and Big Boulder was sick. It used to be so great, like five or six years ago, you know, they built that huge jump for like Sean Jordan, Mutiny and uh, 
they had the the Chandra Open where you know it's a hill that has 450 foot of vertical but it had like three 50 foot jumps in a row with like a huge rail section at the bottom and that it was all park too I don't know what happened there. I think like Vale bought them and you know, things kind of went to shit. But yeah, I've heard that that place has fallen apart in recent years, unfortunately, just because it got purchased by Vale. And I think they just gutted the park. Yeah, I guess like their business wasn't so much like, you know, kids who lived around the corner who were buying the 100 or, or the peak pass or whatever it was, like super cheap season pass. Yeah. I think like their move was more like, how can we get these suburban families to, like practice at Big Boulder so they can, you know, do their big trip out west to Park City? Yeah, and, uh, like yeah. the training wheels for actual skiing, basically. Yeah, pretty much. So that doesn't mean park anymore, does it? Yeah, I, I guess so. So um, like switching gears, looking back at school. So when we were talking ahead of setting up this this talk, um, you said that like your senior year at Penn, you, you did a whole big project on like the state of the ski industry. And I'm actually like about to start a project like that. So like what was your experience going through that whole process of like, doing a formal research project about everything that's going on yeah it was interesting i actually like tried to go back and read it i it's gone (laughs) unfortunately i posted on new schoolers and uh yeah i found the article but all the text is gone so all right um i mean it was i actually did for a sports management class i was in um at the time and it's kind of a tough industry to look into just first off because you have no data right like a lot of what you'll want to do in like academic research is like have hypotheses and validate them or not through data or just give it the old, like, I don't know. Um, but with freestyle skiing, I was able to kind of bring in enough of just my own personal knowledge of either like business and the business side of things, just having like a lot of friends who were sponsored at that time. And um, just kind of the research that I had done from like talking to like a bunch of people too. And one of the biggest takeaways that I remember getting from that is just there, there's not enough money in that sport because most of the money will come from media rights, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, major sporting events like football, like baseball, like all that, most of their revenue is not from tickets of people going to the stadium. That's how they create fan loyalty. Like it's a part, it's not negligible, uh, but it's, it's always going to be media rights, right? Like people are going to like pay millions of dollars, to, like want to air the Super Bowl on their channel. Um, you just don't have that uh, with freestyle skiing because the audience is not big enough. And to grow that audience, there's some major fundamental like flaws with the sport behind like accessibility, behind um, kind of just the way even becoming a pro structure behind the support for athletes. I mean, think about it, like all these like guys like killing themselves like in the streets, like putting out insane footage, pushing the sports. Like, I, I don't know how, how they make money. I listened to Andy Perry's, um, the he did with you and like that was super eye-opening like you just you cannot make money skiing i bet i remember like when i was interviewing people f- for that project i was just like hey like can you live on office skiing and some people are like oh, no hell no you know i've blown like three acls that's expensive right there um and you know, i still live in my parents house i'm 25 like it's, it's just not working out like i'm going back to school or starting school some other people were like, yeah, you know, it worked out, but I had to like hustle for like five years. I'm there now. But again, like, you know, one injury and uh, is that the end? You know, do I get dropped? Do I fall behind to a point that I can't catch up? And uh, this is 2016. I think a lot has probably changed since then and not necessarily in the right direction. Like with people like you, you win points now in competitions, not even money. Like 
how is anyone supposed to support themselves like trying to grow like that that's why i turned to yeah that's why i'm on instagram now i, I was like that's just like a fun way to kind of like do something in the sea industry i guess like it's it's a good kind of like different channel to to go about because the the whole comp scene is like ridiculous now like getting good enough to like compete with these kids you know on your own in a park like when i was growing up you were like maybe build a jump like you know out back on a good powder day like huck a dub and like you know hope for the best and like bring it to the hill if it works out um you know see homie do something like try it like that was our training except when i was like at the season where i had a coach but even he was just like yeah you got it alex you can do it you know now it's it's like crazy like park city and you know, kids are like casually throwing like triple 14s on this like huge jump and they're like you know not even 14 <laughs> yeah well that those kids are just getting so much practice and so much training behind the scenes yeah. but um so looking at like after you got out of school so when did you so you were skiing all through college when did you realize or not even realize, but like, when did you start drifting away from skiing and like getting into like the professional world? Like, what was that period of your life? Like, were you like, okay, I need to start getting serious or were you still trying to keep skiing in your life? So I never drifted away. I'm, I'm still there. I mean, that's why I'm in Utah today. Um, the way I looked at it at the time was, you know, I love skiing. I want skiing to be in my life, like no matter where I go. Um, that said, I, I just at that point had other priorities in life that I wanted to achieve too. I wanted to make sure I had the financial like independence and, you know, I did make sure I didn't have to worry about money like in the future. And I was kind of thinking long-term at that point. Um, and this was me just deciding to go to college versus like skiing. Like when I got to kind of having career opportunities as well, that, that kind of, that mindset shifted too. But at the end of the day, the only reason I wanted that financial security, that liberty to kind of like do me was to do me is to be able to like line myself up for like, if I want to go skiing on whatever day I'll go. And, you know, as long as you're staying on top of what you want to achieve for yourself and have a clear understanding of what your goals are, what your values are, you can actually make a lot happen. I mean, through college, like I was skiing more than a lot of my friends who were, um, you know, working at, a hill and they you know they'd ski over lunch break maybe for an hour for five days a week and then ski whatever two days they got off that week meanwhile I was a student right like I just wasn't going to class for two months and you know just like chilling on the hill and like doing me and enjoying that and then, you know exams came around I just go back to the city like get serious like get good grades and just find a way that I could always like make life kind of work around what I wanted to achieve and uh, to this day, I mean, it's really paid off. Like I'm in a position now where I'm like in a great place, just personally, financially, I'm like super independent in everything I do. And I'm still getting like at least 50 days a season. Um, yeah, it's great. Probably more than like most lifties would get because you work all day at the mountain. You probably don't even want to ride. You just want to like go and rest after you get off your shift. And if you can ride, you only get two hours anyways before it closes. That's the thing. And like another like big point for me was the whole like professional ski career. Um, I was never in a place where I was even remotely close to being a pro skier, right? Like maybe if I like tried really hard, it could have worked out. But I was like, you know, what's that trying even look like? Like I'm not a bad skier, but what happens when you go pro? You know, what, what happens to your relationship with skiing? That's what I was wondering a lot. And 
know, this is a question like I'd love to ask people and like see how they feel about it. But I've, I've listened to a few interviews and kind of heard um, uh, a lot of the same. And my thought about skiing was always like, I wanted to be my escape, you know, like I love my city life. I love like my career. I love being productive and like doing all these things that happen in New York and London and all these places I've lived. But I do also love skiing. I love having that as my passion, my number one thing that I'm going to think about day and night. I would hate to have a day where like I wake up and I have nothing to do. So I go skiing. Like if I don't want to go skiing, I want to be able to have like so many other things to fall back on. And there are days like you don't want to go skiing. If someone out there can ski 365 days straight, like good for you. Like I cannot, like, I think my max is like three weeks. Um, and a lot of what I've seen with like people who go pro is, you know, suddenly you have your livelihood that is riding on skiing. And, you know, let's say there's a comp day out and it's really shitty weather. Well, guess what? You know, you have sponsor contracts and you have to like perform and you have to get into a certain amount of points. You have to do something, which means like you're out there hucking meat, like regardless. And it could be dangerous. It could be something you don't want to do. You could maybe just want to like, I don't know, go do something else, like chill. Um, and it, that always kind of like seemed like a very stressful situation for me, where it's like you're suddenly like turning what you enjoyed as your escape and just making that your day to day. It sounds great in theory because you're doing what you love every day. But I was always worried about like just the reality of life catching up to that. Right. The reality of like paying bills of like figuring out what you're going to do, like past 30 and your knees are shot or like whatever it is. Right. Um, so that was like my main push for like that, what I was mentioning earlier of just go to school, you know, get the hard kind of hardworking years out early. You know, you're going to be high energy at that point. You, if you want to ski like those 50 days a year and like get all that shit done, like you can just find a way. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, it worked out great for me. Like I'm super happy. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think that you had a good approach to it. And I think nobody nobody chooses to pursue skiing as a career as like out of from a, like a logical standpoint. You know, that's a very emotional decision to go in and be like, this yeah. is my life. I'm going to ski every single day. It's tough. But I remember I was doing that, you know, the the interviews for that article I read. I was like, wow, like, does it sound like it's working out too well for a lot of people? But you know, I mean, that all that said, though, like, I have so much respect for the people who do that. Like, like I said, oh, this, for sure. everyone, like, the step crew going on the streets, it's just, like, going massive on stuff. Like, no one's business. I mean, anyone's put out street parts, like, uh, all these people doing comps who are pushing the sport, like, finding all these new tricks to do. I mean, that's what gets me hyped, like, every day. I love opening my Instagram just being like, oh, like, that insane trick happened. Like, um. You yeah. know, that wouldn't happen if it weren't for you know, people really like dedicating themselves to sport and pushing it forward. And like, we wouldn't be there without them. But to me, it's kind of like in academia when people get PhDs and, you know, they're going to be paid like 20K through their 30s and like yeah. never get a real life. But, you know, they're like the smartest people on earth and they're just pushing that field um, and sacrificing pretty much like their personal well being for it. Like, I, I have a lot of respect for it. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, it all I think it all comes down to like work ethic. Like, obviously, it's not, it's not an easy path, but if you're willing to work hard, that's when you see, like like you were saying, like the step crew come out and you see people put out these crazy parts. And yeah, like it's like, it was, you know, it's an emotional decision making skiing your career. But if you have that work ethic, it's still going to work, you know, regard, yeah. regardless. Dude, for sure. And there's always an out too, right? Like people who have that work ethic, like, look at Steph, they're doing commercials with like Steph Curry now, you know, like, yeah, they're doing yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. Are they, I think it's like Ham and Nick doing that. Um, 
so yeah, if, if you're on your feet and like, you know, you have the drive, it takes like get skiing done and you have a plan for yourself that like will work out in the long run or doing what you love. Like that's probably the Holy grail. It's just like not many people get it. Right. Yeah. Well, I definitely like that you got a different perspective on it. So, so there's some other things that you've done that, that we talked about or that, that you let me know about. So what was up with your uh, attempt at a goggle company? Oh yeah, that was a fun one. Um, <laughs> so this is trying to keep skiing in your life, but it, it didn't necessarily work out this time. Okay, very contextual on this one. I um, I, I'd left Penn, um, went back to Lyon in France, and I was going to do a master's in sports management at a business school there. And I had done research. And I know you're like going into this. This was my personal decision. Um, just given what I had learned about kind of the sports management industry, I kind of like call this audible last second to just not go. Um, and I just went to apply to like other business schools in general, business schools and kind of shoot as high as I could academically. Uh, so I, that meant taking a year off. And, you know, there I am calling my mom, just like having me back to the U.S. Just like, oh, you're starting school soon, Alex? And like, well... I, um, I'm not going to go, like, I, I'm just going to kind of apply next year. What do you mean? Like, what are you going to do? It's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm figuring it out. And she's just like, I remember her losing it. I'm just like, you can't do that. Like, you know, like go to school. Like, I'm not going to give you any money to like you know, live. If you do that, uh, like you can't come home, like whatever. I was like, oof. And that was a big start of my independence and like making sure, you know, I could, you know, support myself at that point it's like oof, that, that's a lot um but ultimately i was like okay i need a way to make money so i started this goggle company and that was based on like very clear research into the goggle industry at that point uh which was just like a hot mess i think it's like you you know it's back when you could only buy goggles for like 200 right like mm-hmm. oakley had a huge corner on the market with like electric whatever those companies were um, and it was not a thing to have like that, that $50, $60, like pair of goggles. So I started poking around on Alibaba, which is like an open marketplace to connect you with manufacturers in China. I started looking at like how much it really costs to make goggles. It costs like, you know, like $10. And what's great is that the, the plastic that you have on your goggle, there's a company that has a monopoly on that. And it's called Lutoxica. They're based out of Italy and they own Ray-Ban and Oakley. So the like actual material that a lot of these Chinese manufacturers use actually comes from like the people who are making like Ray-Bans and their Oakley goggles. So in my mind, I'm like, well, what the hell is happening there? Like, why am I paying $200 for like, you know, Oakley's? Um, so started doing some market research, found that there was like an appetite for like a cheaper goggle. Um, you know, maybe something that was like cool, had a nice design. Um, so like I went off and did it, you know, I designed it all. I started raising money to try to just get a first batch out. You know, I had like $12,000 ready to go just from investors. Um, a little tip for anyone now, if they're starting a company, never start one on your own money, even on a loan. Um, so prepped it all and just remember like one day trying to like get my order in with these people in China. And it was, it was so hard. Cause it's like, it's a 12 hour time difference. And these people don't speak English. They're, you know, typing into like Google translate. And then, you know, you receive your Googly translated um, 
you know, just Chinese text that's like, you might not understand it, but you get one response a day because like that person's sleeping while you're reading it and then you're sleeping while they're reading it. And uh, you just know they're going to Google Translate yours. So I, I really got to the point where I was like tapping English into Google Translate to translate into Chinese and just like checking with a friend of mine to be like, hey, is this coherent? Like, are you going to understand what I'm trying to say? Um, but anyway, one day they just like stopped answering me on Alibaba. I was like, uh, like, hi, like they have all my designs, everything. Um, but nothing, right? And radio signs. And meanwhile, like I've you know started like doing marketing for us. I've started putting out word. I started reaching out to like, different stores to try to get my stuff like into retail and I was like fuck like what the hell do I do like I have no idea how to get in touch with these people and next thing I knew, I knew is it was like two like slick retailers you know they like get all their stuff like ready by like September I think and they're like hey it's past our deadline I'm like sorry I was like fuck like I can't do direct to consumer like I'm not set up for that um and I just ended up making the call to like pull the plug which really sucked and the toughest part of it all was like maybe two or three months later, this company called Sun God out of the UK launched a goggle and they were working with the exact manufacturer that I was working with in China. I know because they had a patent on like, there's a patent where you could un take off the clip from the strap. So you'll see a lot of like these startup goggle brands that popped up since like a lot of them will have that clip and it's from that same manufacturer that I tried to work with. Um, and I mean, after that, I was like, well, fuck, you know, I'm not going to do this next year. That's in so long. So I just kind of gave yeah. up. But hey, man, That's a good learning experience though. You, you like, you gave it a shot. I tried, I didn't get very far. You know, mm -hmm. I I've seen people like go a little further. Like, um, someone sees here, uh, out of PC, same on Instagram's, uh, iceberg Simpson. You started the syndicate brand. And I was just kind of catching up with him about it. Sounds super stressful. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, he's doing something really cool. He's he was telling me he's trying trying to put out like good gear for like over that kind of like entry level price point of like one hundred fifty dollars, where you're just kind of buying shit snow pants and trying to put out like a good quality product out there. And he's just like starting it out. And I was just like, wow, <laughs> good luck. I hope it works out. It's a cool idea, but it's stressful, man, to like start those companies if you have a lot riding on it, if you have your own money riding on it. Um, you know, I kind of like took it for granted when I would like see companies pop up when I was a kid I'd be like oh that's shit or like not even think twice about it now trying to do it I'm like wow someone probably put a lot of blood sweat and tears for like a year into like launching this thing like yeah it, it makes me a lot more empathetic oh totally like you see a product that you don't like you're not like oh this is garbage you're like uh, not for me you know not for me exactly you probably have a target audience it's not me i'm not gonna shit on you online like i might have when i was like 12 or 13 on easy rollers yeah <laughs> yeah just it's the same thing like if you ever if you've ever made an edit yourself or anything like that like if you put out a body of work yourself when you see other people doing the same thing you have a greater respect for what they're going through and like putting their own work on the line but meanwhile if you've done done or produced nothing it's so easy to just be like, oh, this is shitty. Oh, this sucks. Oh, this is terrible without any second thought at all because you just have no context for what's going on like behind the scenes. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's funny you mention that. Like, One thing I really do enjoy about the ski industry and just a big part of the community that I've kind of brought into my personal life, like wherever I go, it's just like how supportive the community has been. Yeah. And that's from like the start, right? Back when I was a Grom, just like figuring out how to hit a rail, like dressed in my like you know two XL like B dog jacket like huge like gaper gap you know like yeah. not knowing what the hell was going on 
you'd have people who just like come up and be like, hey, like, let me help you. Let me teach you that. Or like, you know, you post a clip on Facebook and people be like, oh, it's so cool. Like keep going. And from that to now where I'm just like posting stuff on Instagram, like every, what, like two or three days, so much positive, like just love coming out of it. Like, you know, and you see that anywhere in the comments, be like, yeah, dude, like that's sick. Like keep doing you, keep pushing towards whatever you want to push towards. It's, uh, you know, people don't rag on each other as much, right? Whereas I feel like in a lot of different sports or industries, there's a huge like competitive kind of like shit on other people who might be better than you to bring them down kind of vibe. Yeah, or just shit talking in general. Shit like, talking in general, yeah. Like a lot of skiing, well, maybe, like maybe in, in competitions it's different. But even in, you, but like when you watch competitions, even even at the start gate, all the competitors are hyping each other up. There's no like getting in each other's faces. Like you suck. Like I'm gonna destroy you. Everyone's just super stoked on the whole. Exactly. Thing. Yeah. Like how many comp things have you seen where it's like a kid will land like an insane trick and it's just like everyone else in the comp is just around him like giving him hugs like that was yeah. insane yeah um, exactly yeah cool industry so uh speaking of like maybe a not so cool industry what was it like working at uh facebook because um, i feel like that is not a similar vibe at all yeah it's it's different i mean it's, it's a corporate job like i i really enjoyed uh working there like as a company it's um and this was shortly after the goggle um, experiment, right? No, this was way after oh, the goggle experiments after undergrad. So I, I finished undergrad and then moved to Lyon, tried to like start this company, tank that mm. started another company, which did well, which I worked on for like, I think eight or nine months. Was um, it ski related? No, not at all. Yeah. I was doing, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, the ski industry is not for me right yeah. now. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I worked on that other company and it, you know, it, it did all right. Like we were making money after I think three or four months, which is great. Um, and then I moved to Lisbon, Portugal to like work with the EU on climate action, which is actually um, super interesting. Uh, and then I went to grad school in London, right? Like instead of doing the sports one, I went to school called London Business School for a management degree. And it was after London, like I worked at PayPal for a year. Mm. I only got a gig at Facebook, uh, which moved me to New York. Yeah. Uh, so like, this is, you know, the goggle thing was like late 2016 and I started Facebook in early 2019. Okay. Yeah. So that's three years, three years of kind of just bopping around. I guess so. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So to get back to that, um, so Facebook, I mean, the vibe there was just super, it's cool, man. I mean, I love the tech industry. What's really great about it is, you'll get a lot of responsibilities super early on. That's what kind of pushed me there. It was like consulting or like banking. Also like a lot of those industries are evil. And while Facebook is also evil for its own reasons, at least like the people you're working with are generally super mission driven, super smart. Also in their twenties. Um, it's like a fast moving industry. I mean, you learn so much. Like at that time, I remember I went to work for Facebook uh, just cause it was like a cool place to work. It was like hard to work thing, work there and get a job there. And if you do, it, it looks great on your resume, right? And then like, I have that now. I didn't particularly enjoy my personal experience there for like a bunch of reasons. Um, the main one just being like political work stuff that I won't even get into, but essentially like takeaway with there was like, don't work at a big company unless you're in a good team. <laughs> like uh, there, there's a huge like clout war pretty much between teams where you're stepping on people's toes and you might end up like not working like I straight up had nothing to do for like a month once I was like yeah fuck this <laughs> um, 
but you know all the perks were cool like insanely cool office um like lots of free food um you know good people to work with so like overall good takeaway i think like for oh and just for context what i was working on there was i was doing um data analysis and understanding like how we could structure data to catch bad behavior um mostly around people trying to sway elections in third world countries so like essentially a lot of like what cambridge analytica did for the u.s um different pr firms which is what they were called like public relation firms essentially mm -hmm. doing that in like a bunch of third world countries which was like super duper sketchy and impossible an to catch do you have an example that you could like talk about or are you not allowed to talk about this i'm not allowed to talk about it okay. sorry <laughs> that'd be super interesting but maybe that's for a uh, private conversation <laughs> yeah yeah um so so what's it like living in um so you lived in like three major cities like in a very short period of time like you went you went from lisbon lisbon london and uh new york like so what was yeah. it, were all those different scenes like and like maybe even like just like a skiing slant on the whole thing dude uh well i'll, I'll do them that order right lisbon pretty small like same size as Lyon, uh, a little bigger than geneva um i'm half portuguese so i could kind of get around like i speak portuguese skiing scene is non-existent as you can imagine uh surfing scene is great though so i was only there for a few months i was there for like for, you know like five or six months tops maybe less um but i'd gone there every summer so like i know the city super well and uh it's great man i mean you just like portuguese working culture is either like insanely intense where you're working like nine to a.m to like 5 a.m the following day that will is very common like consulting stuff or it's a lot chiller and you're working 10 to like four and you're having beers over lunch and you know get on four and say oh like I'll go catch some waves and you you know take a train and 50 minutes out you're like one of the best beaches in the world now over the weekends i'd go to like Peniche and like watch these like you know tsunami like tidal waves come in i mean they weren't as big in the summer as they're in the winter but like that's where the um, like world record for biggest waves happen like all those like those insane videos yeah the, yeah you know those insane videos that look like cgi and then you're like no wait this is real that's that's just dumb um so that's like a lot of that's in this place called nazare which is like a just north of lisbon um so it's cool man I mean, it's like a super laid back uh way of life like lisbon's a great city and it's blown up a lot like in the past five years i think with tourism and everything um absolutely love it and then living in london i think london's my favorite city like i love love new york um but London, London was sick. And it's funny, I know like the people listening to this are probably mostly like, um, you know, skiers who would never want to set foot in a major city. Yeah. Like one of my, like, one of like my favorite guys to like ski with or just like uh, hang out with his, his Instagram handle, uh, handle is like Karkos Skier. Uh, shout out Ben. Like he lives in upstate New York and I, I'd link up with him to go ski indoors, big snow. I remember asking one time, oh, do you want to like come into the city, Brooklyn, like see my place? Like, oh, never been to New York City. I'm like, wait, that's crazy. Like you're 27, like you live like in upstate New York. So yeah, never been. Or um, <laughs> that is crazy. I was skiing with the like line traveling circus guys too, like a few weekends ago. Cause we were like in New York and we, our schedules, had a little bit, I happened to be in the same place and someone sent me a story of them like in front of my apartment in Brooklyn. So I like DM'd him and I was like, oh, I know like all these spots because, you know, we'd been like hunting after them like all year. Um, and so I like linked up with them, skied uh, for a weekend, which is really fun. 
Uh, but I was talking to LJ and he's like, what, from Vermont? And he was also telling yeah. me like, it's my first time in New York City. And he's like, what, 32 or four or something? Yeah, and that's crazy. crazy. He's been all over too. So like, Yeah, and that's the thing never, too. Never made it to New York, yeah. New York City. Um, so, you know, for me, um, just going back to the city thing though, like London was particularly cool because there's a huge culture in London of like flying places over the weekend. Flights are dirt cheap, like EasyJet and Ryanair. I've seen day trips like Copenhagen and Denmark for 14 pounds, which is like, you know, like not even $20, right? Mm. Fly out at 7 a.m., fly back at 11 p.m., 45 minute flight. You go anywhere, like within two hours, you're in like 30 different countries. Um, so I love that. And then London as uh, itself is like this insane melting pot of a city for European cultures because like anyone can go there from European uh, cities. So you just meet so many different people. Um, I mean, the city's like fantastically beautiful. There's so much culture. You're in the center of so many things, you know, like art, fashion, um, history, uh, business, the techno scene. Like I love music and <laughs> party a lot in London. And, you know, it was, it was just like a great, great place to be. It's, you feel so just alive there. Like I felt like I was living like four times like four Swiss lives in one life, pretty much in London. Like anything I do in London in a year, it would take me four years to like have that much experience in Switzerland. And, you know, New York is kind of like the same, if not like even faster speed. Um, so like going from London to New York, you know, they're similar sized cities. I, I think the biggest culture shock for me was like, I went from London, which is a little more culture driven. And, you know, like when you meet someone, it's more like, where are you from? Whereas like, you know, you get to New York and the first thing people say is like, where do you work and this is not my vibe like at all but to be fair that's like a very manhattan specific vibe like i live in brooklyn I, you know i live in a warehouse everything around these warehouses you know my neighbor on the left is a dj the neighbor on the right is a tattoo artist like everyone's on just on some creative vibe my one friend in all of new york who's also freestyle skier shout out willie g lives in my building which is like so convenient oh, right that's crazy yeah um so yeah, I mean, my experience in New York was like a lot more, like just a lot grungier, frankly, <laughs> than London. Like London, you know, it is kind of posh. Like it's a nice place to live. It's very like I was in West London, which is like the nicer part versus the East. Um, and going to New York, I was like, yeah, fuck it, I'm just gonna live in a warehouse. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a 15 minute subway ride to Manhattan. Oh, I don't have to go too often. Yeah, you probably could have found a more posh area of New York if you tried. <laughs> They're there, yeah, but like, warehouse. you know, rent's ridiculous, right? Like, it's yeah. super cheap rent if you live in a warehouse, it turns out. And like, it totally justifies, like, an Airbnb is in Salt Lake all winter, so. Yeah, definitely. So what's the, uh, so what's the big snow? Because that's, that's the indoor place in Jersey. Yeah. What's that scene like? Because I'm dying to go down there. Are you really? Yeah. I, no, I mean, I it's, just, it's just so unique. I've never done the indoor... Uh, ski thing before and the american dream just opened up like probably right before covid yeah um, so that's how i heard about it yeah i mean okay before american dream i would have told you like these places are trash don't go um based on my experience in london trying to go to these yeah um so i know you mentioned skiing these big cities i didn't touch on london new york uh -huh. london i was flying home to geneva getting my car and driving up to the hill to ski not convenient so i um you know i was in grad school at the time so it was like i had a ton of free time so i just like three or four week trips to the mountain just like veg which is yeah. great and um, then when i was working uh, in tech you know it's like you I, 30 days of vacation like you know again you could do like fly weekends back home it was super flexible um and i like quit my job in the middle of the winter so i quit like december 15th 
moved my Facebook start to like March. So I just like took the whole winter and just skied like minus a trip to like Thailand. Yeah. But so back to the, um, Oh wait, sorry. What were we talking big, about? Big snow, American. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So, uh, so back to big snow. Um, my experience in London sucked. It, they had park from eight to 10 PM on Friday nights. And it was a uh, hour to commute from my place on a subway. And then I had to Uber the last five minutes. Dumb. Big snow, 40 minutes um, from where I am in Brooklyn. You know, it's like a subway ride and then a bus. Not great, but it goes. And seen there when you're in the spot, at least they have a park. And the park is there all the time. Um, it's pretty cheap, in my opinion. Like, you can get deals where it's like um, $100 for six two-hour sessions. Uh, these two-hour sessions, like, you'd have to take, like, at a time. But honestly, and I hope no one from Big Snow is listening to this, but, like, you can just stay. Like, yeah. just, just ski, like, three hours, hike a rail. Um, and you quickly realize that there are two rails. So you're just going to be hiking them all the time. They're taking the chairlift that takes forever. Um, so, you know, I was getting, like, crazy sessions in. And I put out, I think I put out 15 clips in total from that place. Um, yeah. For when it opened during COVID, October to December. And I still have like a two hour thing left on my pass. Like I got a lot of skiing. Would I recommend going if you could go anywhere else? No. But if you want to work on rail stuff, great place to be, you know. Or you're just um, in New York and you want to ski, period, basically. Yeah. During the summer, like off season, like whatever. You know, that's what's great about New York too, right? Like 40 minutes west, uh, I'm skiing indoors. 40 minutes east, I'm at the beach surfing. And you can yeah. do them both in the day. That's fire. Yeah. Hell yeah. So what's the, uh, what's, what's the urban scene like? Cause I'm sure that like NYPD first, first of all, they have way bigger things to take care of than a bunch of dudes skiing. Second of all, they probably don't even see urban skiers that frequently. So what's that whole scene like? Um, it's interesting. I mean, New York's just a huge, super, super high bus rate, right? Mm-hmm. Like your issues aren't so much NYPD. It's just like mostly everything's like private property. Like even the parks are state run parks. So like there's kind of a different authority everywhere you go. Um, that said, I I don't know like how many people skied urban in New York City. I don't think that many. Like I've never seen like any clips besides yours out of New York. I don't think the one clip I'd seen was I think it was like thirty seventy or seventy thirty by like Zayner and um, kind of that crew, and yeah. they were out getting spots, uh, kind of like in the Bronx and like Harlem. Wow. Um, that's like everything I'd seen, and this year I like. I swear it, the city blew up, I guess, cause it just got hit by snow so often it got to the point where like everyone was in town, any spot you went to already had a lip to it. Like it was great. It was like, there's free snow park. All you had to do to know where the spots were. And we were opening up a lot of spots for the first time. So like we, when we were skiing, what I would do mostly is I, I was with a homie of mine, Mosley, who was like, you know, we all work jobs, right? Nine to five, nine to six, whatever we would finish work at like six and just immediately like get in the car and just start hitting spots after spot after spot. Cause the first snowstorm, we were like, this is insane. This is never happening again. We're never going to have a crew to hit this again. Like, let's go. Um, so, you know, you'd find yourself skiing from you know, 6 PM to 6 AM, like just literally like until you could not stand anymore or somehow, you know, made sense for you to like drop down a staircase of a subway station <laughs> yeah. which is like 
So, um, what, so what's the backstory behind that one? Because I was going to ask that anyways, because that clip is just oh, yeah. so ridiculous. Like, that's literally, like, just middle of the night. All right, there's a staircase right here. Let's go down it. Dude, that was, that was a fun clip. That one, like, got around on, on Instagram, too. You know, I had, like, my one point, like, my homie in Italy sent me, a cl- like, a clip from an Italian, like, drunk people doing things account. It's like, hey, my mom just sent me this, like, isn't this you? <laughs> I was like, huh, yeah. Like, why does it have 500,000 views? Like, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. No tag, whatever. Um, I mean, that one sucks because, like, I wanted to stomp that, too. I didn't mean to, like, you know, crash. Um, the story behind it was, it was our first night out, and we were just hyped, you know? Like, we hadn't skied. I hadn't skied in a resort uh, since Hood uh, that summer, and um, or skied, period. And neither had my homie, so we were just, I think we hit, like, 20 spots that day, right? Like, we started at 6 p.m. and went spot, spot, spot. I'm still sitting on, like, so many clips from, from that day alone. And, um, you know, 12 hours in or 13 hours in, it was like 5.30 in the morning. It was like, you know, I have meetings at like 10. <laughs> like I should probably get some sleep. Um, and, but I was starving. And so we go to the deli that's like right by my house um, just to order a sandwich. And, you know, I'm waiting for the sandwich. And uh, I was like, well, you know, is there any spot we can hit around here? Like, might as well. Kind of looking around and I don't see anything. And, you know, I've, I've seen like, there's a dude, Trevor, um, I forget his name. But, you know, that guy was, like, flying down staircases all the time, right? So, you know what? Like, why don't we, like, ride down a staircase? Like, you know, the subways weren't running from, like, one to five. So, like, I assumed there would be no one there. Like, it was, it's probably fine, right? Um, So, you know, he, my home is kind of like, I'll film it. You know, <laughs> like, sure, I'm not going to do it. And so, we were like, okay, sure. So, we go, like, throw some, there was no snow on the staircase at all, too. So, we threw these, like, little, like, white patches of snow because it's like a dfd staircase so like on the flat part and the landing in my mind i'm like yeah that's fine that goes like i've fallen enough like today like how much more pain can i be in um so i gear up to like drop the staircase and i just i drop down it and as i go down the first i hit the tranny of like the flat and i'm just like Oh no, I spun right. And my theory behind that was like my right, I had broken my right ski earlier that night to the point that it was like, you know, L shaped. Um, and I think what happened is when I hit the tranny, like my left ski actually trannied and got the momentum out while the left one just broke. Yeah. And since you're on, you know, floor, right? Like it's essentially being on a huge box. I got more speed from my left ski, which like spun me kind of like clockwise and like into the handrail on the right. So I go down the second set, just like flying into the handrail, you know, my pole is catching them, try to like ditch it. I just like come down like pretty much sideways, like on the landing going pretty fast and just face plant, like in the middle of the subway station. Now what you can't see on that video is actually like slid like pretty far because it's pretty sleek floor just ram myself against like kind of the structure barrier that was there. And there were two people in that subway station. This one guy who's like walking out of the subway uh, at Bedford Avenue at like, you know, five something AM who just goes like, Oh my God. And I'm just like thinking about this poor guy. He's like, you know, no one wants to be taking a subway at 5 AM. You know, he's probably like super tired, like going to work, coming home from something. And he just sees his kid like in ski gear, like fly and just slam against a pole, <laughs> like a face plant in the middle of the subway in New York. You know, it's just, like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. And then the other person was the the teller who like, you know, checks like MTA stuff. 
or like you that you would talk to um and you know for people who don't live in new york like these people are the most miserable people on earth you know they they hate their jobs they hate their lives and they want to make sure like you're on par with that too um <laughs> so they're just <laughs> miserable people to interact with um so i slam and you know i kind of like this guy's like oh like are you okay? But before any of that happens, like the first thing I do is I just look up at like the, where the, the teller person was and she's just there staring at me. And I'm staring back at her. And the first thing she does, is just like turn around, go back to whatever the hell she was doing at like five in the morning in the subway station, <laughs> completely unfazed. I was like, you have to have seen a lot in the subway station to be unfazed by that. You know, yeah. like this dude screamed like, oh my God, this woman's just like, I don't care. Like literally like just two seconds of eye contact. That's all you get from me. Like, bye. Yeah. Just another day at work for her. She's like, yeah. I was like, and you know, go follow subway creatures on Instagram. You'll see like what the kind of crazy shit that happens in subways there. So. Oh, that's crazy, man. That's cool. Like, I think that, uh, like the New York ski scene is, is just fascinating. Cause I, I really, you're you'll have to DM me some clips that you've seen. Cause I, Cause you're literally the only person I've seen other than whatever was going to come out from traveling circus next season that uh, that's skiing in New York. Cause there's, yeah. there's really not much going on. Dude. I, I don't know who else was there. I know there's like a big snowboarder crew there. Um, Cause we were hitting some of the same spots. I mean, mm. I I've lived in New York for two years now and I'd been dreaming about like hitting so many of these spots. And when the snow hit, you know, it's pretty easy to go there, but I was one. I was thinking, like, if you don't live in New York, like, there's no way you can know which spots are good to go to, which ones have high bus rates, like, which ones you can actually like get in. Inter- like, we didn't have a bungee either, so we were like going on natural speed. Um, yeah, that's it, tough. you have to have eyed stuff out like a, a lot and like had that like kind of skier mindset. I, there's just not a lot of skiers in New York who like would be going after urban. It's despite you know 20 million people being there. So in terms of like. like a- you might have to put out like a feature length since you got such a, a such a niche, such a niche within a niche, you know, like you, you could really put out like the only, the only Manhattan uh, uh, urban film. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's what I was going to say. Like, I, I'm sure Cruz went there and if the half footage, they're just like keeping it for the fall, right? Like I, yeah, yeah. I just like post on Instagram. I don't really like put together. So like we film on our phones, you know, we're not like out there trying to like, get sponsors for films and stuff so that's why my stuff is out now and frankly i like as many spots as we hit we were just kind of like messing around you know like trying to get yeah. as creative as possible like you really felt like skate too if you've played skate too like it's saying you're just walking around a city that shouldn't have features that you could hit in theory but suddenly you, you can just like hit everything like move objects around to ride them so like a lot of the spots i hit weren't even handrails they were because like you know those are kind of like hard to line up it's just a lot of like ledges and like cool trannies and cool lines that you could get um yeah it was so fun i did have a blast just like that's so skiing awesome. the unskied yeah. yeah so um so what do you have like cooking up what are you what are you looking forward to you got any like plans going forward because now we're kind of caught up to where you're currently at yeah i mean not much like what i've been doing with my scene this last year is I mean, like COVID hit, so that was unfortunate. Um, but I felt like I hadn't really gotten enough skiing in for kind of what I wanted, just living in New York for two years and then living in London the year before that or two years before that. Um, I just really wanted to get out West 
And I wasn't sure how that I was going to happen, but I was like, you know, just have a goal, like figure it out. It, it, it will work out. And sure enough, it did. Um, so for me personally, like my goal was to just like ski park as much as I could and really like get back to that and like get better on like rails and start hitting jumps again. So like, I just like hadn't jumped in like a while. Um, another project that I was working on was, so when quarantine hit, um, you know, like I, I, I'm sure a lot of people were in the same position as I was. Like I was skiing at Big Boulder on Saturday and, you know, I walk into the lodge at like 6 p.m. And I, I can remember what time they closed on Saturday. If it was like 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. I'm kind of like, hey, like, you know, what, when are you guys closing? Like today, it's like, right. But like at what time? They're like 10 p.m. I was like, okay, what do you mean today? Like, do you close at a different time tomorrow? They're like, no, like we're closing today. Like Vail just shut down all the resorts in the United States on a Saturday too. Like I was out there for the weekend. <laughs> you couldn't even ride Sunday. Um, and yeah, I'm talking to Sam, like, damn, like I'm out here for the weekend. Like what am I gonna do tomorrow? And the dude just answers like, frankly, dude, like I have no idea. I just got laid off. Like I don't have a job. I just kind of have to figure that out. I was like, holy shit, wait, that's so real. You know, like. Yeah, like this is serious. And that was the start, right? Like then everyone in New York got laid off. Like unemployment shot up. Like it's not like only ski industry specific. Um, but so when that happened for me, uh, luckily I like got a job at the start of COVID, which is like super weird, which is a job I have now. Um, so I was, I've always been remote for that one. But I was bored out of my mind because so I hadn't started working for like a month. And, you know, those were the tough days in New York. I was in New York City during that entire, like, intense quarantine, like, pretty much up to, like, November. Mm -hmm. And you see a lot of faces in the city. But that lockdown period where you're just, like, at home, it was tough. So, like, one, like, half the city left, first off. So, like, yeah, and two, like, yeah. And, like, two, you can hang out with people anyway. Like, the people stayed were, like, a lot of the French homies that I had. Because they, like, if they were to go back to France, there was no way back for them to the United States. And to this day, like, you kind of like still can't even come back it's been over a year mm -hmm. um so you know, i was locked in you know skiing's cut short your season's gone like there's a pandemic you know everyone's losing their jobs people are dying you're in the heart of it in new york like it's a depressing time like this is one of the most depressing times i've seen in my life and um i just need to scratch that itch and you know i was like what do i do now well, guess what i had like five years of ski clips uh nowhere to post it because it was like not on news alerts any uh like much at that time so i just turned to instagram i was like hey maybe i can like start a ski instagram just like start posting a ton of stuff and like try to blow it up uh like i knew a good amount about like just growth marketing you know i'd worked at facebook which is essentially instagram like had a good understanding of the platform um so I just like started from there and, you know, it was like a personal private account at that point, like a year ago, like a thousand followers were just like homies in New York or London or wherever turned to public, told everyone like, Hey, like I'm skiing now, like deleting all the personal stuff. So heads up. Um, and you know, the rest is history. Like I had this goal, like hitting 10 K followers. I think I'm like at 8,500 or something like that now. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, that's just been like, what's kept me sane, like for those first six months, it, it was so good to have to just like put those clips together, put them online, you know, just have other people doing it too. And just being a part of that community that is now on Instagram, it was just so much fun. And, um, 
yeah, like for my future, just come back to that. Like I probably going to keep posting on Instagram, I think until I hit 10 K and like cool it from there. Cause it's a lot of time, man. Like it's, you know, you had Dan on and uh, he runs a ski creative page. And uh, he was saying like, he spends like three hours a, uh, you know, a day on it. Like, I believe that it's tough to run a page, dude. And like, his is big. Like plus, you know, add on like actually skiing, like bugging people to like clip you up, like editing, like taking the time to do that while working 50 hours a week and actually trying to ski on the side too. Like it's exhausting. Um, it's a lot. Um, so I'll probably just keep doing that. I've like stockpiled enough clips and like make through the summer get a hood trip out um and rinse rather repeat for next year man like I, I don't know if we'll still be remote but if i can get some off-season stuff at um just while i'm in new york you know at that indoor spot and then next season maybe get an icon pass and and kind of get around like that'd be sick i don't think i'll do it the way i did this year where i spent so much time in utah like it, it's you know there's pandemic like it's not a popping place from the get-go especially coming from new york like it's been great to have this much downtime, but every time I go back to New York, it's like you know, back to uh, like the girlfriend there and the homies and like life that I'm kind of like putting on pause right now. Um, I don't think I can be out for like, I was out for like three months this time around. Like this is a little too long, um, but yeah, hopefully like more traveling, more skiing and uh, just taking it all in. Hell yeah. Um, so yeah, just looking at your Instagram right now. So before we move on to like viewer questions, so what's your relationship with like these sponsors you got listed? Do they hook you up with gear? They like, how did you get in touch with like tall tea, for example? Yeah, no, I, so I've been like the, the biggest tall tea fan forever. So just, uh, my, the three companies I'm working with right now are like Gilson skis, uh, tall tea and, um, tree Fort lifestyles. I kind of only wanted to work with brands that I thought were cool and like doing just like awesome like grassroots actual like ski industry stuff you know like not work with the big companies or like whatever and I'm on Instagram right like I, you know I, I ski and I enjoy it but I'm not like good enough to be winning comps and like getting those big sponsorships and I also more importantly don't need money from or like support necessarily from brands to do what I do mm. Um, I do enjoy repping them and helping them grow, you know, like that's awesome. Um, so I really wanted to focus on that. And the way I approached it was, it was mostly proactively. Like I didn't, I reached out to everyone. Um, you know, I get, ski season started coming around and, you know, the, the account was like doing well at that point, like growing well. And I, you know, I remember when I was starting the goggle company, like I was trying to get anyone to rep my goggles, right? Like I was lining up athletes left and right just to get like awareness out. So yeah, I kind of had a good understanding of like what growth looked like from a marketing perspective and something to keep in mind with ski sponsorship is, you know, at the end of the day, like you're going to be a marketing tool for um, brands. I mean, better said, you're going to be a marketing partner. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think like Andy Perry mentioned this when he was on, he was just like, uh, kids were sending clips left and right to Lionskis, right? They were probably getting a hundred clips a year or something. And he's saying like no sponsorships came out of that probably, right? It was like who you knew or like uh, whatever it was. And that's because uh, like, yeah, you can be like really good skier. Like there's skiers out there so good, man. Like I'll open my Instagram and like see like the most insane like bangers from kids who were just like throwing clips on there. Um, 
but at the end of the day, like as an athlete, you need to be marketable. You need to like be able to work with brand and bring value. Um, so my value for, for each brand is like super different. Um, with Gilson skis, like I, I reached out to Josh who, uh, Josh Wong, who like runs a team. And, um, you know, we were just talking, um, I was like, yeah, would love to work with ski company looking for something like, you know, a little smaller, like I love that you guys have handmade skis. I honestly like not heard much of your company before, like just being on Instagram. Um, you know, let's figure something out. And then there's a back and forth where he's just like, oh, you know, like a lot of people like ask for sponsorships. And I was like, all right, well, you know, here's the thing though, like here's stats on Instagram. Here's like the growth that I'm expecting in my account. I, I just like went into data, which is like what I do for a job anyway. I was like very straightforwardly like, this is the benefit and added value you can get from like partnering up. It's like super business oriented, right? And you know, that resulted in like him being like, yeah, fuck yeah, let me send you various skis, right? Um, great skis, like I love riding them. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> and deal. then that was great. And then like Tree Fort, uh, that was like a bit of a different one where, um, so that comes run by KP out of Oregon. Great guy. Uh, I had done some Black Lives Matter protest uh, kind of raffles with him um, over Instagram over the summer. And I was so like blown away by like how stoked for a good cause, um, you know, he was and like he wanted the company to be too. And I, I worked with a bunch of companies, like shout out to everyone who like helped out that that was just like, so like cool to get that much support uh, from the ski industry for something that, you know, mattered a lot to me and to like so many people uh but i reached out to him after a while i was like hey like i'm you know trying to honestly i was just like i broke my suspenders to generals and i love them and i was like <laughs> want to like hook up a new pair and he's like dude for sure like um and that kind of opened the conversation where i was like you know i'm in new york um you know let's love to like figure out some sort of like partnership or something and we got on a call and he was kind of like you know we were talking about like what his goals were as a company right like you know these companies that are running instagram pages and who are doing partnerships with people on instagram they have a goal like they want to grow brand awareness they want to grow into certain audiences and as like someone who would run an account on instagram or like you know pretty much anywhere it's really important to know who your audience is because like if you want to like be in you know, influencer like help companies grow through your own presence like at the end of the day they're going to want to tap into your audience that they might not have um my audience happens to be like really new york heavy for some reason um and it's it's a lot of them there are not free sauce years um i do have like some free sauce years but like it'll be either you know kids like maybe 15 to 20 and like if I look in the comments and I go on their profiles like a lot of times or the dms just kids like that but then I look at the stats and it's just like hmm 45 percent of my following is like 25 to 35 like I'll see these people they're not commenting they're not sending me dms like I don't really know like how that's possible um watching it's like tiktok like they just they think your videos are entertaining and they just scroll that's the thing. And I think it's a weekend warrior type people who are, you know, following all these, like my focus, I, I was targeting like ski pages, like people who like follow the, uh, you know, ski page XYZ, right. But not even like free sauce scene, like, you know, free ride, big mountain, whatever it was. Cause they're going to be like, wow, that that's super entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like focus on that audience. So I don't think I have like a very similar, like following to like a lot of people who are like big in free sauce skiing. I mean, the reason for that is like, 
I don't think I'm that good at freestyle skiing, to be honest. Like, I'm okay. I do all right. And, like, I have a lot of fun skiing and enjoy it. But I'm on Instagram, too. I see how insanely good, like, kids are. Um, so it was really a matter of, like, positioning myself in a way that got, like, that different approach. That was the only way I thought I could, like, grow the account. It's, like, worked out super well. So when I was talking to KB, he was like, dude, I love that you're in New York. You know, you know, we'd love to, like, get more stuff in New York. Like, get more of our product in the city. Um, you know, they're big in skiing. That's where they started. But, like, brands want to expand. Brands want to do different things, achieve different things. Once you understand that, you can be like, okay, this is how I can help you. Or like, sorry, I can't help you. This isn't going to work out. And you know, it's not going to work out both ways. But where, you know, those projects might align and, you know, you can understand that and like really position yourself and help those people grow and like constantly like understand what it is they're trying to achieve, like what the point of the partnership is at the end of the day, like you're, you're just going to, I don't know, be a much better asset, I guess. Um and that's what I like was trying to do with the account from the start, right? Just honestly, like work with some cool companies, have some cool stuff. Uh, I sent my way, rep some companies that I've loved, like Talty, huge. Like I've been, my first t-shirt skiing was Talty like 15 years ago. Um, and I just reached out to them. So I like posted a story of like my girlfriend wearing my like team size Talty as a dress, which is kind of funny. Um, and I was like, hey, you know, I'm looking for a sweater sponsor, like, do you want to figure something out he's like yeah dude i'll send you a hoodie for sure i was like yes cool it's like the coolest hoodie ever it's like the tie-dye one seven shoe t-shirts yeah, yeah that dead one yeah yeah um so you know just kind of started working with them recently and paul's super cool guy um love what he's been doing forever so it's just like super cool to be able to kind of work with a company i've been like such a huge fan of for so many years so yeah, at the end of the day, like the the Instagram partnerships were, were a lot of proactivity on my end and really understanding how I could create value uh, for brands, you know, help to have the business business background and understand the platform really well to be able to like navigate it in a way that um, kind of was helpful to people and also just creating a shit ton of content, right? Like product and just like being out there, like stacking shots whenever I could and you know, putting the work and editing and everything. Mm -hmm. it's a lot yeah so what's like your strategy uh i mean we're kind of turning this into a marketing case study right now but like what's your strategy yeah, for for your like i do you have like a schedule that you like to release it on or are you just is it kind of revolving on when you're able to get clips uh dude it's hit or miss i, I it's definitely schedule and the a few things i've learned from just like dealing with like the instagram thing for so long or like this past year one you have to post like all the time the more you post the more like organic growth um you're just going to get in terms of engagement two growing following sucks like for three months i was posting clips and like you can tell like if you're like on public you have stats it just gives you a lot of your insights so looking at data helps a lot but i started with you know getting maybe 150 likes on a video that if i were to post today we get like a thousand because like i've not gotten that much better at skiing like frankly yeah. like um but you, you'd get that and you know the stats would say like oh 50 percent of your followers um or 50 percent of people like this were uh not following you which means like of the people who liked your video you know 50 percent followers 50 percent you got from either hashtags or being uh, like in the explorer so hashtags are a big part of the game if you use them too much they're saturated and you get like banned and they just don't work anymore and instagram will never tell you that that's happening until you like post three in a row that like do super poorly and you're like fuck because i can't use the ns famous hashtag anymore yeah. Um, but I remember when I was doing that, I got to the point where I was hitting like a consistent, like 
90 to 95% of people who liked your content weren't following you. So I was getting 500 likes, but like no one was following me. I was like, what, you know, how do you do that? Um, so one, if you want to get followers on a ski page, only have skiing on your page. Cause like people are going to open that and see personal stuff that they might not want to see. So they will not follow you Two, Um, when you're small and starting out, like I just had to like follow and follow, like every, like a good amount of people um, just to get the name out and just like, get on some radar um i've gotten to the point now where like i don't have to do that anymore like it kind of grows on its own um so that's been really good and then just in terms of the content I'm, i've been putting out i try to post at least like every two or three days um like i mentioned earlier it's like super exhausting uh but if you can keep that rhythm you i mean the way i see it is like you have like a potential bar um, which can be filled to however percent, right? And if you like play the Instagram game posting like every day or and commenting on other people's stuff and like liking other people's stuff, like you will fill that bar up to get like 100% of your engagement potential, which could be like a thousand likes. But if you're like, you know, posting every two months and not even really like using the platform, you, you might have a high potential, but you're only getting like 20% of the engagement that usually you would. So if you play their game, they'll reward you and give, give you all these likes and stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, that's just like noise, right? Like, it's just you know, the likes, like I mentioned, right? Like a clip that got 150 likes that I would have posted a year ago, probably got a thousand now. Um, it's really easy to get caught up in that and just be disappointed by, oh, like my clip got poor engagement or whatever. Like, you know, it didn't do so well. Like I'm going to take it down repost it later. Um, I remember getting stuck in a hole like that where I was just getting nailed by the algorithm and I couldn't figure it out. Um, something that's really important to remember with Instagram or like putting clips out is that it's not about the numbers. It's just really about like putting out content and like getting people hyped kind of like online as much as you can. I mean, the reason I'm on social media at all, it's only for skiing. Um, it's really just like, you will not see what I look like on my Instagram. Like my face isn't even on it. It's not even my real name. It's straight up just skiing. And um I'm on there because that's where I see the ski community today. Like, I, you know, new schoolers was great like 10 years ago. I, I feel like a lot fewer people are there. The way people post content now or like put out content has changed dramatically with how like easy and accessible and free video is. Uh, you know, it used to be people were putting together three minute videos filmed in 69. So like, you know, the vertical, like your computer screen. Now everyone's filming vertically on phones and putting out like 20 to 40 second clips. Mm -hmm. um, it's a whole different ball game. And, you know, that's fine. Like, yeah, it, the good old days were like better, but you kind of just got to adapt with the times and just like um, kind of like follow the community wherever it goes. And, you know, Instagram's just like where I saw it land at least. So super stoked to like be a part of that. And, you know, my goal ultimately was just making sure I could like put out stuff that just got people excited. Cause my like best pastime, and frankly, like the only thing I do to like really kill time when I'm like at a subway stop, so I'll open Instagram. I'll just like watch cool skiing. I uh, like anyone I follow, like I don't follow my friends on, on Instagram. Like, sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> I do care about your life and like, call me, let's catch up. But like, I, I'm not really going to play that social media game. I just follow skiers and like sick yeah. content, um, which I like, I assume most people do in skiing. Um, so yeah, I mean, as long as like you can, if you're like doing an account and you want to like do well with your account at the end of the day, you just got to 
put out a ton of content, make sure people are, you know, enjoying it and like putting work into editing. It's a lot, but it kind of pays off. It's rewarding too. Yeah. I mean, you could be like a consultant for these kids that are trying to get, you know, trying to start a ski career because this is like, you're doing it for fun. Like this is what they need to be doing to get known, you know? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. It's a lot of, that's what I was thinking too. I was like, this whole comp route is crazy. Like, you know, like it's so dangerous to hit like these big jumps and like, you know, you have to have parents who are super well off to like, just even go to these ski schools and like kind of take that time off of school. And like we were talking about before, right. It's a huge investment to like go pro and uh, kind of like sideline pretty much the rest of like your, whatever life you, you're going to have in like today's society. Um, but with the whole Instagram thing, like, you know, I was able to do that kind of like as the fun little side project during quarantine. Um, it's interesting where it's going. You know, I wonder if that is going to become like a bigger like stage for people moving forward. You know, is it going to be like more organic content, like put out that way? Like you know, level one, like poor boys are not even really making movies anymore. Like I, I don't know how people are going to be blowing up on a scene. There's so many good kids in on like the freestyle circuit right now that I just don't know about. I don't know their names. I don't know who they are and they just slay. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a different world now from like the content world in my mind where people are putting out clips and there's some overlap, but it's just, it's not like movies or anything like that anymore. And as much as like these projects that are coming out are sick, like the suit space movies and everything like that, there's been a huge shift, right? It's, it's not like back then when it was like big film companies were putting out stuff every year and you're just getting stoked for the fall. Now it's like very much like online content, like direct, like people want it now. People want the instant gratification of like just clicking on a button, just like seeing like insane shots. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard. Like it's changing so much. It's like where where's the spot where you can see the people see people coming up? I kind of think that it's trending towards Instagram. Because, you know, being featured in a movie now is not, doesn't mean as much as it used to mean. Like, it's still super sick, but there's, there's honestly just more eyes on Instagram. So it's definitely a a, a changing, uh, changing landscape. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I do wonder, like Instagram, the thing is, it's like diluted with other um, kind of yeah audiences too right like like i said like my following is like not free sauciers for the most part like it's it's random new yorkers or like people from wherever whereas you know if i were to open it up and like go to my feed now i'm sure i'd see like some kid like a jay card setter like jackson kids insane on rails right like i bet a lot of people know who he is like he runs the real skiing page and everything like that's like huge clout in and of itself and that will pick up in freestyle scene because he's legitimately like super, super good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do wonder what that means for a career. Like, like back to like the business thing, right? How do you make money off of that at the end of the day? Like how are you, is it cash prices? Like I know he's doing the comp scene, like at the I, top, I don't, at the very highest level, it's cash prizes. Yeah. But it takes right? a and like, yeah, where do you even get cash prizes nowadays? Do you have to like do like X Games or like yeah, you have to like win those cops like yeah, exactly the highest level competitions. Like that probably takes years to get to. Yeah, it's probably not easy. I mean, think it of another like... business idea like starting starting a new like grassroots cash only 
style. That's kind of like what Andy Perry's trying to do with Tell yeah. Tour, but on a smaller level, like a more competitive, almost like a rails to riches, but like a tour where it's like cash prizes everywhere would be sick to see that again. But then you would have like the comp guys come in that are already established and just raking all the money. Like there's, there's, I don't know, you need like a US Open type format where it's like amateurs only with cash prizes. I don't know. It would be definitely be a tough balance to strike. Yeah, dude. I, I don't know how it works. I mean, honestly, like I think they, what needs to happen is just like platforms where people can create their own content just need to become more monetizable. Like YouTube. YouTube's created some massive stars. TikTok okay. too, right? Like people are getting endorsements. There's money there on those platforms. People are making it like a lot. Like maybe people just need to develop that if you know you want to like start compensating people. And solves a lot of problems in the ski industry of like just straight up accessibility to the sport, right? Like, oh, okay, you have to be good to a degree, but let's say like you're really good at editing, like you know how to put a good vibe to an edit, um, and you have like a good agent maybe like running your account who like understands how to like get you money from just like an online presence maybe now like you can become a professional skier just from like having that i mean look at andrew regatley like i don't think he needs to ski and like actually win the comps he's winning he's so like popular on i think it's like two million followers on tiktok um and like, i think a lot of it is from like the gym videos he does of, like running around and all these things like i think that made the news like one of his videos went like it's stupid viral um like i don't know how he's making money or like what that looks like for him but you uh, Olsen, good example too right i've always been like vlogging forever i've met people who know who you Olsen is because he vlogs not because he skis and you're just hitting like a much wider audience like it's made more mainstream so I don't know. I'm spitballing brainstorming here, right? But like if you made, took like a platform like Instagram or YouTube, that's really easily accessible for people. All you need to like do an Instagram account is computer to edit, a phone to film, internet connection, right? And obviously like to ski. Side yeah. <laughs> it does actually, but you don't have to go to the ski schools, you know? Like there's always going to be like a bottom line where it's like, uh, like not everyone's going to get to go skiing, but um, within the ski industry, at least, like there, you know, you can move more towards getting some sort of monetization for people who are trying to come up and like support themselves and not have to like lean on you know, parents or like whatever it is, like get more money into the sport through that channel. I mean, it, it, I don't know. It, it does seem like personally, I would rather do that if, you know, I were starting out today wondering, like, do I just try to become like more of an, uh, online kind of presence with my ski career or do i go the comp scene comp mm. scene scary like I, I you know i don't want to be hitting like 60 foot jumps and having to do like trips or quads like i think you what you're doing is like the future i think it's the future because like what, what what you were saying earlier what's the point of sponsoring an athlete it's it's to get exposure for your company and like they add value for, for your company before they had to be in movies they had to be winning they had to be winning contests they had to be doing all these things but now you could like exactly like you've done, you could add value to a company without, you know, filming with level one, without winning competitions. You could literally just be a dude with an iPhone and be adding so much value to this company just because you you've created a following yourself. So like, I feel like, like now it's more accessible than ever to be able to attract a company. Cause you'd be like, Hey, listen, I'm only freaking 13 years old, but I got all these people following me and I got all these eyes on me. Like that's the, that's the added value for your company. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. You know, I do wonder where it'll, it'll go. I mean, 
like you said, right? Like sponsorship, like it's getting getting your brand out. And while you could put your skis on really good comp kids, like where are I mean case who's, in point, who's right? watching like, like who's watching, who's watching obs- that? Yeah, who's watching like an obscure competition in some European country and like the guy that's placing fifth. Like he's super sick, but who's seeing that? I'm not seeing I don't even know where to watch it. I know where they're like, no, there's no I might problem. see it on Instagram like yeah. a day later. Like, you know, it's, yeah. Well, I guess we'll see like how it turns out, but like, that just makes a lot more sense to me than Thompson. So we'll round it out because we're, we're running a little bit long, but this was a great conversation. Right. So let's get into some viewer questions. I got a, that's what I was doing on my phone right here. I was just playing around with it. So one we got here they took a screenshot of so tag dot harris asked uh what's your favorite rail trick he actually had two questions but the first one's what's your favorite rail trick okay shout out tag dot harris i was skiing with him one day at park city like trying to shoot him back forwards like well, this, is, so this is part two this is part two at park city oh really okay we'll, we'll get into that but my favorite rail trick um 2p4 such a cool trick so yeah. cool to see so hard to do um but once you have it locked, like it's there, I, I think it probably like looks the sickest just in terms of like mix of like tech and style and just kind of like, like 2P2 was like huge, right? It's been around for like years. 2P4 was like that one up. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's a trick I really like. Hell yeah. And the second part, it's not even a question. And that's probably what you were about to talk about. And he said, uh, thanks again for helping me when I separated my shoulder at Park City. Yeah. Yeah. We were trying to teach him back fours. I see alone in Park City. Like I don't have friends here, honestly. I just like go out on the hill and do me. Like all my friends are, are too old to ski now because like you know, with broken knees or I don't really know anyone in Utah anyway. So then I was skiing with him and we we're trying to teach him back fours and there's this A-frame at the bottom of the park that I just like love. And uh, he tried to back four on it and like just came out off weird and just went shoulder first into like pretty much an ice rink into the landing and just split his shoulder. It was like last run of the day. It was like so sad. I was so bummed for him, but yeah, I just kind of like hung out with him until the emergency room. I was like, what can I do to help? Like, you know, I was, yeah, yeah. He's a champ for freaking after it. I think he's getting out skiing again. He was just like jamming me earlier. So yeah, shout yeah. out to him. Glad to see him back. <laughs> looking out, looking out for the homies. Um, all right. So my buddy Grant asks, uh, so you're obviously you're a park rat. You ever send some crazy stuff in the backcountry? Dude. Yeah. I love backcountry. I'd be there more than the park. Like anytime there's powder, you like, you want to see me in the park. I'm like chasing after powder. Um, crazy sense. I don't know. I was up in like Grizzly Gorge, I think it's called near Alta here in Utah. It's so sick. It's like the biggest backcountry snow park you've ever seen like pyramid gaps there chad's gaps there like i didn't know they were all in the same place yeah um, a lot of stuff is already like shaped too so you could hit it except they're like crazy with gnarly like, 80 foot mm. gaps um you know we built some stuff out there just like trying some dubs into like soft snow yeah that, i mean that's about it like i think the gnarliest things i've sent were just like lines of like insane powder ridges that i remember doing with friends were like there's this one cliff I had in Navoria that was like huge. It's in the middle of the woods. Huge for me at the time. I think I had to be like at least 30 feet, which I don't know, was super intimidating. Plus you like carry down, right? So like probably took it 40. Um, yeah, that's probably like the craziest thing I've done. I wish I had more time to get out of the backcountry. 
No, it's all right. It's it's yeah. tough. It's tough to get out there, and like honestly, being on a chairlift is just so much so much more convenient. Like you literally just sit down and you're at the top instead of working all day to get up for like a couple runs. I mean, I would do that, dude. Living in the city, you just can't even get out to powder most of the time, right? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a lot of that too. Um, all right. And Grant also asks, "What's your biggest Jerry moment you've ever had?" Oh, oh uh, a lot. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um biggest jerry moment was probably like really early on i like hit this box imagine a dance floor about a foot off the ground um and maybe like three feet wide i just tried to like get on it and slide sideways so i could get into a ski slide i just immediately slid out fell on my shoulder and separated it and had to like go to the hospital and then rehab for three months um that was pretty cool good old jerry moment (laughs) um yeah that's a good one yeah stupid injuries are pretty uh oh yeah pretty common staple i have one myself on my on my knee right now not pleasant um all right and then uh the last one that we'll do is uh from the underscore caruso my buddy tom and he says uh what do you what do you think brings your videos to the next level and so like kind of where I'll take that is like, how do you get creative with your videos? Cause anybody can just hold up a camera and like, just film. Like, what do you think separates your videos? Is, is it like better tricks, better filming, better features? Like what, what do you think like separates these, these Instagram clips? Yeah, I, that's a question. I mean, I don't know. to be honest, I don't even know if my clips really like stand out. It's not feedback you get too much of the time. Um, what I do to try to like, add my own flavor to whatever I'm doing is um, the music is like a big one for me. Um, I used to post rap into songs and cool, you know, roots with skiing. Now I just like put up music I actually listen to. Um, yeah. And it's great. It's, it's just like a lot of fun to do. Um, beyond that, like a lot of it's just editing and figuring out like what your style of editing is. Um, it's, it's hit or miss with Instagram specifically because of the algorithm. And essentially like one, you can have a style. Um, the problem with like having a style that's like overly creative where you're using clips that are not skiing in the first three seconds, people aren't gonna watch them, dude. Like, cause people are scrolling, right? Like mm-hmm. if you don't see skiing or you're like a banger on its way within the first second, like you're just gonna slide to the next post where you might just see that. And I know people do this cause I'm guilty of doing it myself. Like. I'm the best like user test for, for this. Cause I'm like my main audience. Um, so like what I try to do is now have like whatever the opening two or three seconds of it, uh, of my clip, like be like something that catches attention and then just like have fun with editing. Right. Like do something cool, creative. I try out so many things. I don't know what works or what doesn't. Um, it's it's really a matter of just like having fun with it and i think if you, as long as you're having fun making clips they'll come off as fun when they you're done with them and you'll have fun watching them too um yeah it's a lot of that like if i'm watching scrolling through instagram again thinking about myself using it like if i see just like a random like raw clip of just like tricks shot from far like i know the trick's super sick it's not filmed right if it's not edited right if there's not like music going with it that like creates a vibe that i'm gonna enjoy i won't connect with it as much where it's a trick in it of itself might be insane um so yeah i guess yeah. the filming comes into play 
Yeah. Well, that's all I have. Thank you for coming on today. Uh, maybe like tell people where they could find you and uh, anything else you want to leave off with. Yeah, dude. Uh, thanks for taking the time. Uh, find me on Instagram, I guess, at a underscore dubs, D-O-O-B-S. Find me also at Park City until like Tuesday. So I'm closing <laughs> day. <laughs> um, and yeah, roaming the streets of New York, I guess. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, nothing else to add. Thanks for listening. Anyone who made it this far, I guess. Yeah, if they made it this far, like <laughs> I you, think we've been on for like two hours. Yeah. yeah. All right, that was awesome.